Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. We're going to do a series of messages this uh, summer that we're calling Summer Sunday School. This has been an idea that I've had in my head for a long time, and uh, I, I think it is the perfect timing. You know, throughout the course of this summer, our families will be worshiping together with us, and we're going to go a little retro in our approach. We're going to look at some of the classic stories of the Bible and kind of look at an old school uh, Sunday school approach to Scripture over the course of these next few weeks. Now, this is kind of going to be a little bit low tech. That's the past that I've come from. And probably a lot of you, I, just play along with me here, wherever you're watching this right now. When I say the words flannel graph, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Go ahead, right, right where you're at. If you, if you know what I mean when I say flannel graph, just kind of raise your hand. Maybe look around if you're with somebody. Who, who else knows it? If you have no clue what I mean when I say flannel graph, go ahead and just wave your hand real quick because your life is about to change. See, I grew up in a pretty conservative church background, and I can remember going to um, Mrs. Jenkins' first grade Sunday school class. I can remember being in my kindergarten Sunday school class, and I can remember the lessons that we would learn using some kind of old school technology, if you will, that made Bible stories just come alive. We didn't have video screens, and, and so this was OG PowerPoint, right? This, was, this is where it all started, and it made the Bible come alive, and it was fun. And I want to show you a little bit of that today as we kind of jump into this series of Summer Sunday School. To start looking at the classic stories of the Bible, we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning of the book. We're going to start with the story of creation. We'll, we'll pick it up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, where it says this. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, I want to show you this, uh, this flannel graph idea here for, for just a moment. It started with kind of a, a board that was covered in a piece of felt. And then what you would do is that you would use some of these other pieces of this felt or flannel or whatever you wanted to call it, and you would put it up on this board so that when you did... What was happening was it just kind of began to pop and it would begin to kind of come alive for you there. And you'd add little things to kind of make it special along the way. Like you could, uh, you could put some clouds up in the sky. Let's do that. Let's get some clouds going here. Um, let's get that one right. Look at this beautiful blue sky. It's a beautiful day. You could kind of get some landscape to kind of give it a little bit of depth there. You could add some birds to kind of add that other dimension that's there. This is kind of having a real Mr. Rogers vibe to it, isn't it? It's kind, of, it's kind of a lot of fun to do this. And you could just watch the world come alive. Well, that's what our scripture says to us today. Look at what it says. It says that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. See, here's the reality that we need to pick up at the very beginning of this story, that God is the creator. God is the creator. Now look, I, I know in recent days, and, and if you look historically at theology, it wasn't just recently. This has happened throughout the centuries. But there's been seasons of time when it's been cool to kind of question this story at the beginning of Genesis. Like, did this really happen? And is it really accurate? Did it really go that way? Here's my problem with that. 
my problem is whenever you start to question that story in Genesis, and you kind of go, well, maybe creation didn't happen like the Bible says it did, then you begin to question the authority of Scripture. And if that story is not true, well, then what about the other stories? And here's the reality. When you start to question the authority of Scripture, then you can begin to question the authority of God. Can I tell you something? This book has lasted the test of time. It has lasted longer than you and it's lasted longer than me and it's going to last long beyond us because God's words never fail. And even though there are times when it is challenged, I can tell you this, it has never failed. Do I have all the answers? Nah, I don't. Are there details that aren't given about how creation happened? Absolutely. Are there things we don't know? For sure. But I have to start with this. No matter what we might debate about the age of the earth or the seven days of creation, Here's what I believe. There is a creator and you can know him. Let's pick back up with what the story tells us. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So now we, we introduce another character here into our story here is our friend. We'll just pop him right there. There's our friend, Adam. And he enters into the story there. The first man that the Bible tells us about. And when you read that, you see that there's something so unique about Adam. That, that he was formed from the dust of the ground. And then God literally breathes the breath of life into him. And when God breathes into him. He becomes alive, that he wasn't just some creation. He becomes a living being. And so different from all of the other features of creation. In fact, if you rewind a little bit to chapter 1, when this story is told from, a, from another angle, we read this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, God created Adam differently. He created humanity differently than everything else. See, we're created in the image of God. Look, capture this from this story today. And this is as relevant today, as, as applicable to the headlines today, as probably any other time that I can remember. People are divinely created by God. If we've ever needed to hear that, it's right now in our current situation. Look, we're, we're in the midst of a season of great tension in our nation. We have been for months now with the, the pandemic that we've all come face to face with. But we've also now come face to face with the ugly sin of racism. And there's protests and there's rallies and so many people saying we need a change. And at the heart of all of this, why, why, is, why is racism, why are these challenges even an issue? Because people fail to see this truth that people are divinely created by God, that we are divinely created in the image of God, that we have made to be like Him. And when we fail to see that, it leads to so much conflict and turmoil. And can I let you in on a little secret? <laughs> That's nothing new, right? We're looking today in our little flannel graph favorite here in this summer Sunday school lesson at the story of Adam. If you fast forward just one more chapter, we're going to look at chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Genesis. Go one more chapter to chapter 4 and you'll see a story about Adam's sons, two of them, Cain and Abel. 
And if you know this story, then you're familiar with it. I'll, I'll give it to you in kind of the, the short notes version. Cain didn't like something about Abel. And so when he got mad, Cain murdered his brother. He killed Abel. See, it's in the DNA of humanity. We fail to see the value in other people. And as a result, we devalue them. We disregard them. We dismiss them. We let hate come into our lives. See, so much changes when we recognize the value. I think I've shared before that just before this season hit, I had the privilege to go to Israel. And I can remember we were in a souvenir shop in Jerusalem that specialized, this is just the beginning of March, that specialized in, in carvings made of olive wood. And I remember I saw one, I was like, oh, that's, that's really cool. That's really interesting. And I went over and I picked it up because just like you, you know what my first thought was, how much is that? Like, how much is that worth? And I remember when I picked it up and I turned it over. And just real quick, I just kind of picked it up, turned it over, looked at the bottom and the price was there. And there were more digits there, more, more, many more digits there than I anticipated seeing. And I picked it up real quick. But boy, when I set it back down, <laughs> I put it down with great caution and great care. And then I stepped away from it carefully. Because once I understood the value of it, then I treated it with more care. I, I, I saw its worth in a whole different way. Look, so many times we get so used to the people around us, we fail to understand our own challenges and stereotypes and our own biases. But maybe we need to realize that people are created in the image of God. They are divinely created. We are to value one another. What if we ask God to help us to value one another? I think we'd treat each other a whole lot differently. Uh, let's go back to our story. Genesis chapter 2 verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now this is important for us as we look at the context of this story. And we'll just, we'll just put one tree on here for right now, for sake of space and everything. This is that tree that was talked about there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when we talk about this tree, here's, here's what God said about it. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now there's a whole lot of theology that we could unpack here, and we could talk about the why, and time doesn't really allow us to dig into that. But here's, here's what we do know for sure. God said, Adam... You've got everything you need. And just steer clear of that one. It was a question of obedience. Remember this. It becomes really important. Verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Amen to that. I'll, I'll make a helper suitable for him. And now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. 
So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. So we've got, a, we've got another character who enters the scene here. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Eve. So now we have Adam and we have Eve. Apparently this is, I think, the scene where they were meeting each other for the first time as they stand there and... Uh, Kind of a, a, a fun story to think about. One of the things that strikes me about this flannel graph set that is many, many, many years old is that they were very cautious with it. If you know the scripture, you know that Adam and Eve um, both showed up in uh, no clothing and yet they're wearing kind of these uh, glowing robes here in this flannel graph story. I think, uh, you know, just for accuracy, that was not their goal. They were a little bit more focused on making sure this was all rated G. But here's what we learn from this scripture. And I think it's important for some of us to think about this. Especially in a season when life has not been normal. And especially in a season where some of us have been um, quarantined or closed in. Maybe even with people more than what was normal. Remember this, that marriage is a gift from God. Marriage is a gift from God. Where, where did this whole idea of this relationship between man and woman come together? It actually came together when God said, you know, it's not good for Adam to be alone. And isn't that the truth? That we need each other. See, marriage is designed to make us better. Now, I know that when I share this, that not everybody watching this is married. Maybe you're not married currently. Maybe you've never been married. Maybe it's, it's not a, a goal for you or maybe it is and it hasn't been a, a, a thing that God has done in your life as yet. But I want to speak specifically to those who are married right now and want you to see this point right here, that marriage is designed to make us better. What did God say? It's not good for the man to be alone. So the design was that the husband would, would strengthen the wife and that the wife would strengthen the husband. I, I was at a wedding recently, one that I didn't perform but that I got to just attend. And it was nice to sit there and just watch a young man and a young lady who I have known since they were just little kids and watch them make a commitment of their love to one another. I thought how beautiful those vows were. And what a memorable day it was. And the hope that they have of the life that they're about to begin. And if we're not careful somewhere along the way, we can lose that hope. We, we can lose that, that joy. We can lose that excitement about our life Together, husband, wife, can I encourage you, go back to that hope. You know, sometimes I, I think in our brains, we, we think we signed up for the better and the richer and the health. When actually we also, we, we're committed to life comes with the worse, the poorer and the sickness. We're, we're in this thing for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. So my challenge to you today may be, as you think about this initial pattern that God gave to us in marriage, that you think today about how you can make your spouse better and not the other way around. See, so many times my selfishness causes me to go, does my spouse meet my needs? 
How do they make me better? And what if I turn the tables on that? What if I said today, how do I make my spouse better? How do I give 100% of myself to them? And then watch the difference that makes in, in your relationship. Let's go back to our text. We're, we're covering a lot of ground here today. Story of creation, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Remember what God said earlier? And, and the, the serpent here is twisting it a little bit. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it. She added just a little uh, drama to it there. Or you will die. <laughs> You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Man, there's so much to unpack in those verses about our relationship with temptation and sin and God's word. But for today, I, I want to look at this aspect of this. I don't want you to walk away from this story and miss this. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. In this story, in our little flannel graph story here, the enemy shows up in the form of a serpent of this snake that comes and tries to deceive Eve and Adam that throws a curveball and we say, well, who, who is this? Well, the New Testament later in Scripture kind of shines some light precisely on who this serpent in the story is. We read this in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. In speaking prophetically, it says, the great dragon was hurled down. Well, who's that dragon? Well, the dragon is that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Doesn't that sound like the serpent in our story? See, the last book in the Bible draws a straight line all the way back to the beginning of the first book in the Bible and says that you have an enemy who tries to lead you astray. And if you don't think that's for real, let, let me show you, maybe we're mixing metaphors here, but let me show you what Peter says about your enemy. First Peter chapter one, or excuse me, first Peter chapter five, verse eight, he says, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This story tells us that from the very beginning, there has been a battle that's been taking place. There's an enemy, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, who is trying to pull us away from the God who created us and loved us with our very best in mind. And as a result, in that pool, that tension, what entered into the world was disobedience. Like we read about this, right? Because somewhere along the line, the serpent tempted Eve to eat fruit from this tree. And the reality is that when you look at that story, Adam's standing there, the Bible tells us, the whole time. And as he's standing there, he takes part in the fruit too. See, we have this crazy story that we read of how God made a perfect world. And yet disobedience came in. And sin is the result of disobedience. 
Look, that, that's a point that we have to capture here, that we have to get here today. Sin is the result of disobedience. And this changes everything. If you're looking at the headlines and wondering, how did we get here? If you're wrestling with things in your life and wondering, what, what, what needs to change about this? Can I tell you, until we come to terms with this truth, nothing else is going to make sense. See, when we disobey, sin comes into the world. We live in a world that is sinful and broken and fallen. And please know this, sin is the result of disobedience. How, how do you know that, Chad? How do you say it so adamantly? Well, the Bible teaches us this. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I want you to watch this. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. Who, who do you think he's talking about there? He's talking about our boy Adam over here, right? So when Adam chose to disobey, and when Adam and Eve collectively brought this disobedience into humanity, sin entered the world, and then death through sin, so that's like the price for everything that we, we, we experience, right? And in this way, death came to all people. Why is that? Because all sin. Now look, it could be easy for us to be pretty judgmental about Adam and Eve, but the reality is we've all sinned. Like we live in a broken world where we've all sinned. It, it's interesting to think that we wouldn't because we're, we're human, right? We're going to sin. I, I read a story that they're reopening amusement parks in the nation of Japan. And one of the rules that they've given in reopening the, the parks, the guidelines, is that visitors should wear masks. And here's the quote. They should also avoid speaking loudly on thrill rides. Are you kidding me? You ever ridden a roller coaster? And tried not to scream or tried not to yell or tried not to make noise. But they're saying, hey, look, when you get on that roller coaster and they strap you in and you start plunging towards your death and doom, please do not speak loudly. It's almost like an impossible thing to think about. And yet the same thing's true for us to think that this verse doesn't match up to where we are. Look, we've all sinned. We've all been on the ride of life and said or done or experienced something. We've made some kind of choice, call it a mistake, call it sin, that has in some way been a response to disobedience. And what's the result? Look, our world is broken because of sin. Our world is broken because of sin. Just open the news app on your phone. You'll see it. The headlines will be about coronavirus. There's sickness in the world because of sin. The headlines will be racism. See, because there's hate in the world because of sin. And you could probably make it personal in your own life. Maybe some of the struggles you're facing today because of temptation. Maybe some of the pain you have today because of sickness. Maybe the challenges that are in relationships because of things that other people may have done to you. See, all those things, whether they're things of your own making or things of a, of a larger scale, the pain, the brokenness in the world, our world is broken because of sin. What's sin caused? Let's go back through this story just super quick. I want you to see some of the things that sin has caused to happen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. This is after they ate from the, the tree, right? It says that then the eyes of both of them were opened... And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
So we've got to do a little wardrobe change here for Adam and Eve, if you'll bear with me for a moment. We've got to take off this uh, kind of glowing robe that was the way that uh, at least the flannel graph folks appeared that they came from, from uh, the earth. And now they've had to cover themselves because what's happened is they've made these clothes out of fig leaves because they've realized their nakedness. What does that mean? See, what we realize here is that when sin entered in, all of a sudden they saw things about themselves that they did not like. They saw things about themselves that they regretted. Watch this. Guilt and shame are the result of sin. And some of you know this all too well. You wrestle with guilt and you wrestle with shame. You wrestle with unforgiveness. Where does that come from? Well, it's, it's the result of sin. And then scripture says this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam answered, well, I, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. This, this passage always makes me laugh because I think it's funny that God asks, where are you? Do you think God didn't know? Like, were they playing hide and seek? Like God knew exactly where they were. God knew exactly what they had done. And yet in his mercy and grace, he, he doesn't come storming in the room and start making accusations. No, he has relationship with them. He walks them through it. He even gives them a chance to kind of repent, if you will. But God calls to them, where, where are you? See, the reason is because what happens with sin is separation from God is the result of sin. And we'll talk about this some more, but I want you to understand this idea that because there's sin in the world, we recognize things about ourselves and also even more that sin separates us from a God who is holy and is pure. It even goes one more step though. Separation from God is a result of the sin, but remember what happens here? God says, Adam, where are you? Adam says, well, I'm hiding because I'm naked. Verse, 20, uh, verse uh, 11, excuse me, Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, I love this. The man said, the woman you put here with me. Isn't that a great way to say that? <laughs> he says, the woman you put here with me. That's the thing that he says. The woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Look, separation from one another is the result of sin. That's immediately what you see happen here. What does Adam do as soon as God says, what happened here? Adam says, well, it was her fault. Actually, God, it was your fault because the woman that you put here with me, I didn't ask for her, you put her here with me. She's the one that made me do it. You see him shifting blame. What does Eve say right away? Well, hey, I got tricked by the devil. Look, it, there's this idea that we start to make excuses. We start to shift blame. We start looking for a bus that we can push someone under. Look, I, I've noticed something as I was watching this. Some of you may be a little bit troubled by the accuracy of my flannel graph. Like when you look here at Adam and Eve, one of the things that you probably assume right away is they don't look very Middle Eastern, do they? They, they look a little bit more like they probably came from Central Europe or Northwest Ohio, maybe. Now, we would believe if you look historically that the Garden of Eden was probably somewhere in the Middle East. Some people uh, presume that maybe even somewhere in modern day Iraq, 
But according to this, that's not what these folks look like at all. Here's the reason why. And I don't fault these flannel graph makers from many years before. When they made this, they said, we like it if the story looks like us. See, we do that all the time. We make the story about us. And when it's not about us, when it's about a world outside of ours, we have a tendency to be real quick to stereotype. Can I be honest with you? I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little frustrated with the stereotypes that I'm hearing from people or that I'm seeing online. And one of the challenges that we're facing right now as a people, because we don't value one another, because we're made in the image of God, but we don't value one another, is that we throw out these labels and these stereotypes. And we say, well, all people who are like this are like that. And we say that all people who are a minority or the challenge right now is helping people to think, you know, and go and, and not stereotype and not say, well, all black people are like this or all police officers are like that. We begin to stereotype in these ways. And that's such a dangerous thing for us to do. See, that's one of the issues of how sin separates us from one another. Understand this, and let me make it a little bit maybe safer to talk about here right now in this moment. One of the stereotypes that I hear quite often is about pastors. Well, our pastors are this. All pastors are greedy. All pastors are dishonest. All pastors are fake. And I've heard several of those things over the years. Are some pastors greedy, dishonest, or fake? Absolutely. I, I, I know some of them. But I also know a whole lot who aren't. The reality is I know a lot of really good pastors. And the truth is you, you kind of have to get to know them. See, and not just let a stereotype or not just let a preconceived idea or not just let where you're at. You have to give individual people value. And here's the issue. What happens is sin separates us from one another. And so what we do is we make the story about us. The story has never been about us. This story is not about us. This story is about God and about his great love for us. About his great love for all of us. And sin comes with these terrible results. I'll give you one more. Let's read this story. Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. To the woman God said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you will return there's something we see here so clearly that pain is the result of sin. Pain is the result of sin. Look, so much that we experience in our lives, the, the separation from God, the separation from one another, the wrestling with guilt and shame, they're all the result of sin because our world is broken because of sin. And look, don't just blame Adam and Eve. It's my sin. It's your sin. And if we're learning anything in this season, I think that's one of the big things that we're learning. Is that if we're going to move past this, it has to start with me. I have to call out my own sin. It's actually kind of a 
distressing story when you think about it. That right from the very beginning, sin had messed things up so bad. I'm not even through three chapters of this book. <laughs> and the world's already broken and a mess. So where does this leave us? It leaves us with the God who is now face to face in Genesis chapter 3 with his disobedient children. And to the serpent, to the one who tempted them to disobedience. God says this, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That strike his heel part has to do with the effects of sin that we've talked about here. Guilt, shame, separation from God and others, the pain that's in the world. But this part, don't miss this part. From the very beginning, from right there in the third chapter, verses away from when it all fell apart, God makes this promise. And you're going to watch this promise get played out as we go through this series of messages this summer. He will crush your head. Right from the beginning, God says, I'm going to send someone who's going to fix this mess. God says, I'm going to send someone. I'm going to do something to deal with sin. Look, God has made a way of salvation. And from the very beginning, that was what he said he would do. God has made a way of salvation. And it's so clear when we see it in the scriptures, because what's interesting is what happens next. Look at this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. There's a really interesting picture that you see here as we think of that. That God looked at their fig leaves, which were constant reminders of their guilt and shame. And he says, you know what, guys? We can do better than that. And instead, he made them garments out of animal skin. He made them some clothing that would last and... Take care of them. And if you think about this, for them to have that clothing, there was a sacrifice that had to be made. Genesis chapter 3 is just a foreshadowing of what is to come. See, a sacrifice was made to cover our sins. And if you're familiar with the story, then I don't have to tell you that that sacrifice was Jesus. Jesus was the sacrifice that was made to cover our sins. In fact, Romans chapter 5 says it this way. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. Look at this. It says here that through the disobedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. One man, many were made sinners, but the obedience of Jesus allowed for many to be made righteous. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about how Adam and Eve ate the fruit from this tree. The Bible tells us the story of another tree, the cross that Jesus died on. And that made all the difference. Look, as we wrap up this message, here's, here's something that I know. I know that we can't be in God's house right now 
but I also still believe that God is in yours. And as we wrap up this classic Bible story, I've got some bad news and I've got some good news. The bad news is not that the world is broken. The bad news is that you may be sitting there watching this right now and going, my world is broken. Your world is broken. Each one of us know the effects of that separation from God and one another. God knows that. He knows the shame and the guilt. He knows those times that you feel distant from Him. He knows the challenges in your relationship. He knows about those things. And you might go, yeah, but, but what about my divorce? Yeah, but what about my addiction? Yeah, but what about my hate? Yeah, but what about my fear? Yeah, but what about my... And that can go on and on and on. And when we think of those things, we can go so far into the bad news. See, the bad news is that we live in a broken world and your world might be broken. But here's the good news. That Jesus came and he died so that just as disobedience came through one man... The obedience of Jesus had brought righteousness to all of us. I remember years ago, there was a guy that came to our door, I think on a Saturday afternoon. I remember opening the door and didn't know him. He was a salesman. And he stood there and he had a spray bottle in his hand. And he said, sir, I see you got a rust stain on your porch. I said, yeah. How long has that been there? He said, man, it's been there a long time. He says, well, I got bad news and I got good news. He says, the bad news is that's a pretty bad stain. He says, the good news is I've got a product that will fix it. Now, look, I was busy and I was not looking for company at that moment. The last thing I wanted was some guy to try to sell me something I did not need. And my initial response was just to say, hey, man, you can move along and just kind of hurry off my porch. But instead I said, all right, go ahead. Show me the good news. And he took that spray bottle and he sprayed that stain. And I'll never forget that as he began to clean it with whatever was the product in that bottle, that stain that had been there for so long started to dissipate and disappear. He came to my bad news with some good news. And it changed that whole situation. Look, can I tell you that in the same way that you might think that there is nothing that's going to fix the brokenness in your personal world. Because the big world around us is not going to change until we start with our own. As much as you think that there's nothing that will fix it. Jesus has come with the good news. He can clean away all your stains. He can forgive all your sins. And you can start today by renewing that relationship with God. And watching your life be changed. Just right where you are, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And I'm going to ask that if you know Jesus, that he's your Savior and your Lord, would you pray this prayer with me? But if today you'd say, I need my broken world to be made new by the only one who can do it. And so today I give my life to Jesus. Would you pray this prayer with me as well? Just go ahead and pray it out loud right where you are. Heavenly Father... I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you forgive my sin. Be my savior. I give my life to you, my risen Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Look, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, there's a link that's in the comments or you can go out to our website at ToledoCalvary.org right on the homepage. Click on the, on the link that will allow you to find out more about Jesus. And from there, we would love to give you some resources and help you know what it means to live with the freedom and the grace that only he can bring. Thank you for joining us today for this service. Can't wait to be together with you on June 21st. Go with his special favor and his wonderful peace. God bless you.